ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Have you ever wondered what it might be like to have robots as co-workers? Well, this week on Download This Show, that could be a reality for some. One of the world's biggest tech companies is trialling robots in its warehouses. What does that mean for the future? We'll find out. And X, let's just call it what it is, it's Twitter, could be charging $1 a year for people to use it. And also, should Australia have a disinformation watchdog? All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. And a very big thank you to our guest this week, freelance technology journalist and co-host of the Vertical Hold podcast and good friend of the show, Alex Kidman. Welcome back. Nice to be here again, Mark. And creative technologist, Jesse Hughes. Always a pleasure. Hey, thanks for having me. And who's got a spare dollar? Neither of you have a spare dollar? <laughs> We're living in a living social living crisis, Mark, okay? I don't have a spare dollar. <laughs> you definitely don't have a spare dollar to pay for Twitter or X, which, I, you know what, I'm just not even going to bother. I'm just going to call it Twitter. So there's a story out this week that uh, Twitter has rolled out a $1 annual fee for new users in New Zealand and the Philippines. Alex, why? Uh, <laughs> Because Elon Musk likes money. Actually, no, that's not entirely true or <laughs> fair in this instance. The I, They're calling it the not-a-bot service, and mm. Twitter's got a huge problem with bot accounts spreading scams and disinformation and just horrible, horrible content, and it's had that for a long, long time. This predates Mr Musk. But <laughs> the idea here is that it's going to make it less financially rewarding for the scammers to do so because if you sign up on a web browser, not on the mobile client, but if you sign up on the web browser, they're going to want one US dollar per year, although they've only rolled this out as a trial in New Zealand and the Philippines, I believe, off the top of my head. Why New Zealand and the Philippines, Jesse? Like, Because I, I do know that like back in the day, I know Facebook was very big on rolling out new functions in places like mm. New Zealand because it was like it was an English-speaking market and they kind of test behaviour and then they'd roll it out to the people that actually mattered to them in America. Like I, I got that. Is that what's at play here? I assume so. I think it's just a small test market that won't cause too much of a fuss if it doesn't go right, um, I assume. So, yeah, I mean, like as, as Alex mentioned, like bots have been a major issue for Twitter. Even like when, when the whole acquisition took place, like it was, I think the reality of the scale of the bots was quite serious. I think uh, Twitter is realising this is something they have to get a handle of. This is genuinely like a new age major, major issue. If there is a solution to uh, in some way <laughs> like limiting the bots, because strategically, it's a good move. Um, as a consumer, eh, I mean, it's it's funny. It's it's a dollar. I know we know it's just a dollar, but it's that it's that task of you know like adding your bank details and. Well, I was uh, going to say because I think it's less about. I, I suspect it has. If it, yeah. if its primary purpose is deterrent, right, it has less yeah. to do with the money. It has more to do with the fact that you've had to set up a credit card, and with that yeah. comes your name and your address, and. I think like that introducing that barrier of entry it seems to me like the much more important part of that deterrent, Alex. What do you think? Yeah, and look, 
I've got to say, there's, there's, there's part of me as a content creator that gets slightly depressed at the idea that a dollar is too much to pay for this kind of service. <laughs> you are that, worthy. You are worthy. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to earn more than a dollar if that's possible. Oh, my God. <laughs> But, uh, but but that being said, yeah, I, I'm not keen on on handing over that kind of data for Twitter. Although, again, it's it's funny. You think back maybe three or so years when Twitter was much more of a town square. It had a lot more influence mm. before. Mm-hmm. And it all kind of bifurcated into Threads and Mastodon and Blue Sky and everywhere else that it is. Mm. And maybe it would have made a bit more sense then. But now it's just. Why, why do I need to hand the world's richest man both money and a bit more personal information? <laughs> I think I'll pass. But isn't that sort of the exchange that we now have to engage with, right? Like you either want a, a safer, less bot-friendly platform or you don't want to pay. Like who wants to give <laughs> money to these things? But like is there another way of managing that that, that I guess you would be more comfortable with? Yeah, not firing your um, security and safety <laughs> team would have been a good start on that. No, I think not. you've got to be willing to invest in actually having that kind of ecosystem that is healthy. And we're seeing mm. different approaches to that on other services here. Whilst I think in, in, a, in another way it's kind of admirable that they're at least trialling this. This isn't just Musk saying on a Sunday, oh, by <laughs> the way, we're no longer putting news headlines in things or we're changing mm. this the curtain comes down, they're at least going, well, maybe we should see whether or not this actually works before yeah. we do it. Well, they had that like $11 a month for the premium, you know, blue tick thingy magic, but that's still like that hasn't really prevented scammers. Like there's just been a new different st- strategy for people with the X, the tick, the extra, the special tick, the fancy tick. I don't know. I don't think that really worked for them for preventing things. So well, that's probably the other part of this yeah. is worth discussing. Like obviously a, a dollar sign up, is not you, you wouldn't imagine it's an, a huge money spinner, but Twitter does have a problem where it was losing money hand over fist. Is a subscription model a good fit for for Twitter more broadly, Jesse? I think it, it depends on who's there, and this is what we like we were saying before the town square idea. Like Twitter used to be, everybody could you know jump around and say things, whereas these days it's just kind of like self proclaimed thought leaders and like particular voices that are being heard. Twitter used to have a really fun energy to it almost, and I think that's kind of gone away a lot. Is that ever a reclaimable space, right? So we, you know, there was a point where Twitter was something of a town square. It got very toxic uh, Mm. and it seems to still be toxic. We don't, I can't see a natural heir apparent, right? There's obviously like competing apps that kind of do the same thing. You mentioned Mastodon, there's Blue Sky Social, there's Threads, which is from mm. from Meta. So there are things out there that kind of look and feel similar. But for you, Alex, is there a natural successor to that idea of the of the town square? Look, I don't think there is yet. But what we've seen historically with with this kind of social media is that when you're on the downswing, there's usually not a way up. I mean, nobody uses MySpace anymore to delve back in social media history. <laughs> I love but MySpace. there was a point where it was the dominant social network in the way that Twitter had that dominance. Mm. I do think it's on the downward slide. But maybe threads might have the the raw numbers because these platforms do so build on this idea of you want to be there because your friends are there, people you look Mm. up to are there, there's interesting content there that draws you to check your phone 50 times a day when you know you should be working. (laughs) 
And so far, it's so split and spread across all of these services that none of them have have quite come up to knife the king yet. But let's just say that the king is also ailing of a self-inflicted disease. <laughs> uh, we will be talking about... God, that's visual. Uh, we will be talking about misinformation and some intriguing laws that have just been introduced in a country around the world. But before we get there, this is Download This Show. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. The very smart voices that you're listening to are Alex Kidman, freelance technology journalist, and Jesse Hughes, a creative technologist, and me, Mark Fennell, who is neither technological nor creative. Um, <laughs> That's <let's>, not true. <laughs> some of it's you're true. both of those things. <laughs> but you know what I'm not? I'm not a robot. In a surprise to, I'm going to say precisely no one, Amazon <laughs> is, uh, is probably one of the companies that's most interested in, in robotics because of their enormous <laughs> logistics empire. Mm-hmm. And there's been a story out this week of Amazon trialling humanoid robots, and this is my favourite part of this story is the justification, to free up staff. Paint me a picture, uh, Jesse. What, what exactly mm. is it that Amazon is doing with these robots in its US warehouses? Okay, so what I like the most about this story is the robots that we're talking about. Like, they're full humanoid. Like, they've got legs, they've got hands, they've got these, like, weird little eyes. Like They're leaning into not... the sci-fi dystopia, <laughs> like, hard. They were just like, you know what? Humans are right, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to make another version. Um, yeah, so they're testing a new robot. It's called Digit. I like, it's like when you brand these robots, it's like, how do we make it as cute and adorable as possible? And then, you know, takes over the world. But they look great. So... Yeah, this robot called Digit, it's got arms and legs. I can walk upstairs, which is, you know, we can do that too, but here we are. Take that, um, Daleks. Yeah, yeah, well, here we go. The reason this has kind of caused a bit of a stir, you've got like unionists who are coming out and saying like, well, Amazon's been treating their workers like robots for years. Yeah, it's a bit of this irony between Amazon automating as much as they can. And it makes, you have to think about from their perspective, it makes sense for them to be mm. trying to make it like that's, they, they work at mass distribution. Like they've got so many things to be getting along. Um, but I think it's just this angle that they're pitching it at by saying, oh, like it's going to work collaboratively with human staff. Like I work a lot in the AI space at the moment and this is kind of like the, the pitch that's coming out. It's like, okay, but you're going to work collaboratively. It's going to be us and the robots, us and the AI, that kind of thing. And it's this idea that robots are going to be taking on highly repetitive tasks. Ideally, that sounds great. Like, we hate doing, like, menial things. Like, that does sound great. The problem being, you know, like, Amazon, what are they going to do with the staff once they free them up? Just to paint a picture for people. So I'm looking at this video loop and um, (laughs) I'm trying to work out the best way of describing it. So the the head looks a little bit like an overhead projector. The body looks like a vacuum cleaner. It has arms that look like, you know, robot arms. But it's the legs that are really intriguing. The legs are almost like, they're almost like kangaroo legs in the yeah, sense that like they, they bend backwards. Yeah, or yeah. dog legs, right? And it's... I got an insect vibe out of this thing. I, I think there's... I, I don't want to defame them too much because they will be my new overlords. Yeah. But, uh, but they're creepy. I for one welcome our new robot overlords. You and I have a very different view of what cute is. I know. Okay, so I guess the, the it is unsurprising that Amazon is interested in this technology, Alex. But the justification of freeing up staff feels a bit hollow to me when I think everybody knows what the long term intention is for for these robots. Tell me if I'm being too cynical, Alex. I don't think you're being cynical enough. I think it's entirely hollow. Um, 
Amazon has for the longest time, and we've known this over and over and over again, for the longest time treated its workers quite badly. Mm. And generally speaking, I, th- I think the issue here is in in one sense, I think this is a really, really smart idea because everything we know about working in, a, in an Amazon warehouse is that it's horrible, awful, back-breaking labour, it's repetitive, it's dull, mm. it's exactly the kind of thing you want to farm out to the robots. So mm. there's that. So losing those jobs is not necessarily a big issue. At the same time, you don't want to see people out of work, but equally an awful lot of those Amazon jobs are incredibly insecure in the first place. Yeah. So, no, you're not. You're certainly not being cynical. I think you're being entirely realistic because whether or not this robot trial comes off, because maybe this thing has the ED two hundred nine problem and it can go upstairs, but it goes downstairs and trips and crashes a few people or something. Did you say ED two hundred nine or TK four two one? I got confused then for some. <laughs> they will oh get there with robots to the point yeah. that they will automate in the same way that we saw, you know, car manufacturing decades yeah. ago. Yeah. Go 100%. robot. One of the things I've noticed in the last couple of years that I've found kind of intriguing is it covers over both AI and robotics more general, which is Mm. it's leapt into a consumer space, right? I don't think there was a concerted plan by the, you know, all the technology heads got together at Davos and were like, I think they're ready. Um, But I think there, there is something that's shifted in the last couple of years where now consumers are interacting with robots. You know, you see the robots cleaning up in Coles and Woolies now. Like, I think we've now reached a point where people that don't deal with technology for a living are now witnessing just how far this technology, whether it's generative AI or robotics, has progressed. How do you think people are reacting, Jesse? Because now it is a thing that people know exists and you mm-hmm. have a good sense of what it can do. Mm-hmm. But what do you, how do you feel like people are reacting to that, Jesse? I think every single person is being like, how do I make this work for me? And we have evidence of that with the uptake of ChatGPT. Like, with the, that was the fastest, you know, consumer sign-up, you know, in history. And it was because all of a sudden people are like, oh, my God, I've got a personal assistant in my pocket who can do things for me. Now that it's ready to be consumer-facing, you also need an education behind that, and there is no education. And that's why people like my parents or, you know, people who, who aren't, digital natives are going on chat GPT thinking, you know, it's this is going to solve all my answers. And then it just guesses an answer. It's just giving a prediction. It's not real. It's not accurate. It's so a you predictive need a, software. a literacy campaign to go there with is- it. A hundred percent. And now ChatGPT have added like that little disclaimer at the bottom that's just like, oh, by the way, you know, <laughs> this might be making things up. Trust none of it. Yeah, trust literally none of this. But people don't understand that it's just predictive. It's like, and I think that is a major, major issue because all of a sudden, I'm, I'm sure you've you know heard of the, the case where you had that lawyer in the States who submitted their court case and the judge was like, none of this is real. The lawyer, <laughs> dude, no, seriously. I, I haven't heard that one. You haven't heard this? Oh, my God. It's it's wild. Yeah, the lawyer has gone to submit the court case. The judge is just like, hey, did you use ChatGPT for this? They say no. <laughs> yeah, they're like, no, definitely not. And the judge is like, well, every single case you've given here is is in absolute, you know, nonsense. And it's because ChatGPT had just gone and like read a whole bunch on the internet, mocked something up that sounded plausible, and then that obviously backfired. So for me, this is just such a apt story of, okay, You've got this technology in people's hands with them having absolutely no education about how it works, what it's doing on the back end, um, and that's quite concerning for me. So, yeah, I know how, how we're going to level up that education because AI is absolutely going to be part of absolutely every single workflow in the next six months. It already is, but, to, to, I mean, generative AI is just the possibilities are phenomenal, and I mean that in a very positive way, but there are massive, massive, massive 
issues associated with the lack of digital literacy. And we get into, I mean, this technology is quite literally forming the world around us. And if we're just perpetuating really negative things that we're seeing in society through dodgy data, like that's just sucks. Alex, now that we are seeing, you know, clean up robots in L6, uh, (laughs) do you think people are changing around it? Look, they are, and I think they're growing more to accept. I think we've actually touched on this a little bit as well. They are doing what human beings do, which is to humanise these things, to go, well, you know, Jesse, for example, thinks that digit is quite cute. (laughs) I think it's quite creepy. Uh, The truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, But the point is we're, we're, we're putting a human value onto this. So when you see the cleaning robot, your thoughts might just be, oh, well, that's very, very efficient. Am I mm. going to get crushed by that? Or if you, you know, as a teenager had a job sweeping the aisles and coals, maybe yeah. maybe you're thinking Luddite thoughts of uh, of pouring <laughs> some cooking oil down at vents to, to stop it having a job. Uh, but we're applying human values to these mechanical items, which we just do with everything because that's what human beings do. There is yeah. a really interesting study that was published not that long ago that suggested that humans work harder when they work next to a robot as though like they're comparing themselves or like having having a machine next to them somehow makes people work harder. Does that track for you, Alex? They're probably worried the robot's going to take their job. Right. So I think there's, there's an element there. And obviously because of the nature of mechanised production, no matter what it is that you're producing or doing, being just repetitive and pretty much steady rate stuff, Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And Jesse, over the last couple of weeks, I know we've been talking a little bit about misinformation, disinformation, particularly in relation to, I mean, certainly the voice vote, but also uh, the wars in Ukraine and, of course, in the Middle East. One thing that I did note this week that was really intriguing is that Ireland has introduced something new. Talk me through it. Yeah, so Ireland, they're getting ready for kind of like a watchdog role, which is to try and combat the amount of misinformation and disinformation online. The the EU, like the European Commission, they've been ramping up pressure on social media companies to in order to comply with the Digital Services Act. So for them, it's this idea of they are willing to fine, like, like heavy fines for platforms if they fail to remove illegal content. In terms of what that determines something being illegal, I'm not too sure, but that's going to be interesting as to how the watchdog kind of goes ahead with confirming that. I think like Ireland is really interesting that that's going to be kind of leading the charge on this. Is there, Alex, a model for managing that? And again, just a reminder, it's a fire hose at the moment. There is so much content. I even hate using the word content. There's so much, you know, video and a lot of it's really traumatising and it's hard to gauge. It's hard to engage with uh, at the best of times, but it's, it's also hard to engage with to know whether it's some of it is real or not. Alex, are there models out there for managing this that you think are worth looking at? Well, I think the issue with standing in front of a fire hose is that you're going to get pelted with an awful lot of it. And even if you're blocking some of it, you're never going to block all of it. So Mm. all of the models that we have are necessarily kind of emerging and not quite good enough, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. I mean, here in Australia, for example, we have the eSafety Commissioner who is Mm. going to be, to my understanding, doing a fairly kind of similar job here uh, in terms of regulatory, in terms of levying fines, although whether those fines get paid by some of these companies is another avenue to perhaps explore. There's also potentially, of course, a role for AI in this stuff because we know that the actual job, the human 
human job of moderation is an appallingly difficult one because you are literally standing <laughs> face first, eyes open in front of the fire hose and taking it all in. That's not good for human brains and it's something where perhaps a mechanical learning kind of initiative would work a lot better in terms of saying, right, yes, this accords, this doesn't. But again, you've got to have that intelligent enough AI to say, yeah, this is real or this isn't not. Hang on, I'll go and ask my friend Chat GPT. I'm sure he'll know. <laughs> It comes down to also an issue of transparency, right, where one of the biggest complaints, I think we've all just even talked about it in the last 20 minutes, which is like with AI of any kind, for most of us, and it may not be true for, for everybody, but for most of us, you input, you know, a request or an idea and it's sort of like a black box and then it spits out an answer. I wonder, I wonder if we are applying AI to start identifying really contested information, so misinformation, disinformation, if we start using that technology to apply to the, the that kind of arena, do we need to potentially rethink transparency so we understand how the algorithm is working on that material so that it's not getting it wrong, Jesse? I look, I think there's some really interesting points to be involved with all of this stuff. So, you know, AI is going to be thrown under the bus for this idea for, for deep fakes and deep fakes are incredibly dangerous. So that's like, you know, fake content made using AI. But the but the examples that we're talking about, misinformation, disinformation, these are not highly smart deep fakes. <laughs> like you said, it's content from video games. It's content, it's just stuff taken out of context and, you know, repurposed. And so I think understanding sources is incredibly important and trusted sources and and that's what we're kind of seeing right now with, yeah, everything that's going on the internet. And so it's just trying to figure out how we can make sure that is from a trusted source. And AI does an amazing, amazing job at pattern recognition and being able to look at, yeah, where things are coming from, why they're being shared, that kind of stuff. So I think it would definitely be a useful tool. I'm always wary because we talk about AI and this sort of like catch-all terminology when in actual yeah. fact every different, you know, piece of software and, and service is different and and is and is built from a different data set. So I, yeah, I'm loath to talk about it as something monolithic, but is there a version of this that you can see working, Alex? The, the model that occurs to me is is, is is kind of technological and kind of dull. It's USB, the, the, the plugs that go into your computer. <laughs> and the reason I bring that up is because I, I've worked as a tech journalist long enough to remember when there were 15 different plugs that went into the back of a computer. They were all different and, and Apple had their own take on it. Everything was just crazy hard and you needed adapter cables and everything else. We now live in an age where increasingly everything is USB-C. The EU has obviously mandated towards that and we're pushing towards that for a lot more gadgets. If you end up with the USB of AI algorithms for this kind of content in a way that's open and verifiable, but also in a way that's easy for people to understand. I think one of the big problems with saying check the sources, and I'm not saying don't check the sources, mm. is that it's kind of dull. People are going to look at the headline and go, oh, that's the headline. That's the thing yeah. I want to know. Yeah. They're yeah. not necessarily then going to look at the full list of references that proves that the headline is accurate or inaccurate. A little bit earlier in the program, we were talking about Twitter or X, but we should just call it Twitter because X is a terrible name. And one of the competitors for it was something called Threads, which if you have the app, you'll know is a literal ripoff of Twitter. Mm. But it seems to have gone a bit quiet. There was a big launch and people could post their, their threads to Instagram, but it's sort of struggled, I think, to get cut through. But Alex, before we leave, Facebook slash Meta seemed to have a plan. Yeah, they, they have a plan and it's much the same plan that Mark Zuckerberg seems to have for just about anything that starts to fail. Push it <laughs> heavily on Facebook. 
So basically, Threads posts are now starting to appear in people's Facebook feeds, basically whether or not they want them, uh, more or less to remind people, hey, Threads, this is still a thing. It still exists. Why don't you use Threads? Have you thought about Threads today? I realise that actually um, I haven't seen it on Facebook because I don't open Facebook. I'm 38. <laughs> but I have noticed this, uh, on Instagram yeah, there's same. been a whole bunch of Threads that it, it, what it looks like is somebody's done a screenshot of their very witty tweet and they put that on the grid. And I was like, mm, it's not that great a tweet. And then I realised, <laughs> like, really? You screenshotted that one? And then I realised looking at it that it's actually just a thread that somebody's posted. It looks very much like it's been pushed uh, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I was very uncomfortable when it popped up in my Instagram as well. And it was trying very hard to get me to go over. I don't think this has been successful. I actually think it's like, firstly, that we have, we are drowning in platforms, like mm. absolutely drowning platforms. But for me, it's like, what, what problem is Thread solving? Like it isn't solving a problem for me. Well, see, so this, I get the problem they're trying to solve. I'm just not sure anybody thinks the problem is as urgent as maybe they do. Right. So the problem <laughs> being that Twitter is a trash fire. People don't like. There is obviously a, mm-hmm. a subsection of people that aren't wild about Elon Musk, but they like the you know the fast twitch response that you get from a good tweet. So I think they have accurately interpreted that there is a desire for people to still be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the desire is so fervent that people on mass were like, "Do you know what? I'm yeah. going to go over to Threads." And I also think that has something to do about how things like Twitter in its heyday was sort of integrated into other kinds of media. I mean, you'd have TV shows where they put a hashtag up and things like that. Like, yeah. you know, it happens sporadically, but that's really a, a language that was born of Twitter and they sort of have adopted it into other platforms. But it, it is a Twitter idea. And without the, the platform actually being the town square that it was sort of envisaged to be... It's very hard for it to feel necessary, Alex. Yeah, I think the issue here is that social media is very much a grow or die phenomenon. And if there is an upside to this, and I'm sure this is where their strategy lies in cramming it into Instagram and cramming it into Facebook, is that they know full well they have different demographics for that. So Mm. Facebook, we know, trends older. Instagram trends younger. Broadly speaking, there are obviously people who are across both platforms, but they're getting most of their services to pay attention to the fact that Threads exists because they had that uh, stratosphere, I mean, much faster than anyone else was doing, much faster than Blue Sky or Mastodon or uh, the other handful of of new social feeds, which I've already forgotten because they're (laughs) that important in my life. They had that huge pick up, but then very, very little. To an extent, it also acts as a bit of a distraction from the fact there's a bunch of features that Twitter had that Threads still doesn't have yet. It's still a little bit buggy and weird. Mm. They very clearly just kind of rushed it out because they thought now is the time to strike. And they may well have been right that it was the time to strike, but perhaps they're not throwing enough resources in terms of making it more like Twitter for those people who do want that that more Twitter-like experience where you'd see things on TV programs, where you'd see stuff embedded in websites and where the platform wasn't breaking every five minutes. What do you think, Jesse? 
I think the beauty of Twitter back in the day was just these, these, the, the quips, the smart, the, like people being smart, funny, cool. Like it was a copywriter's dream. Oh, okay. to be smart honest. and funny, sure, but cool. No one was cool. <laughs> no, on no, Twitter. No. Let's be I was, I was on Twitter. It couldn't have been cool. Sorry to generalize. Uh, but yeah, you had you had brands, you had thought leaders, you had all these people. Like it was, it, it felt, it felt like this place where you could hear ideas. Yeah. And now it just, it, that's kind of died. I don't know about threads. Like I personally have not in any way been motivated or engaged. I think. At the start when they were launching, they probably did like some real influencer partnerships kind of thing because, you know, that's you're trying to build it. I think that's probably died down and that's what, a lot of why right now it's like twi- threads what? Like, yeah, it's, apologies it's, I, I, to anybody that forgot. signed up. To, apologies yeah. to anybody that signed up to my, my threads. I have not <laughs> done anything with it. Will threads be the next Twitter or will it be the next MySpace? Here's a big old journalism cliche. Time will tell. Time is also out for us. Very, very big thank you to our guests this week, Alex Kidman, freelance technology journalist and co-host of Vertical Hold. It's been fun. And Jesse Hughes, creative technologist at large. Super, super fun. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. And with that, I will leave you. My name is Mark Fennell, and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.